Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. You got your Bible? Let's hold them to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what the word says I have. I am what the word says I am. I can do what the word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of these days, I'm going to come up here and say, now you say the first part and I'll repeat after you. Because you should be able to know it by now by heart, right? (laughs) Amen. We're talking about our confession of faith. And for those of you that may not have been here with us, we're going to give you just a quick review of some of the things that we spoke and said, because I believe this message is essential to our growth and development in the things of God. When correctly heard, understood, and applied in the life of the believer. As a matter of fact, this is the way we grow in faith. This is the way we grow in our understanding of our righteousness. It's the way we grow in walking in the realm of love. And if you want to be able to be a person that really exemplifies the life of Christ, this is what you're going to need to understand to do in your life. And so it's important that we understand these principles. So first of all, we talked about the fact that our confession of faith, our confession is what is really called the great confession. The great confession. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said it this way, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Now that's hard to relate to sometimes when you think about this. Here I am confessing Jesus as my Savior and Lord. It's hard to imagine that while I'm doing that, He's at the throne saying, Yep. Yep, I acknowledge him as my loyal follower, follower, father. That's my loyal follower, follower right there. So the word confession in the Greek is homologia or homologio. And it really means to say something that you've concluded, to say a conclusion. It's not just saying something, it's saying a conclusion. You've concluded something. It's affirming something you actually believe. It's testifying to a truth that you actually know. It is witnessing for a truth that you have embraced. It's not just saying, well, so-and-so said it, so I'm going to say it too. It's a lot deeper than that. And then thirdly, we talked about how Jesus is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of what we say. The high priest played a big role in the Old Testament. There was a lot he had to do. And he was the high priest over everything that took place in the priestly ministry. Today, Jesus has that position. He's our high priest. Our sacrifice is not an animal sacrifice. It's the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to the name of Jesus. Confessing to his name, which is next. Confession is unto salvation. It's not just speaking words with no heart in it. I know he died for my sins. I know he was raised from the dead. 
No one can take that away from my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I confess Jesus as Lord. And that's called relationship. We start with that. There's a confession then unto forgiveness. Now I confess my sin, my shortcoming, fault, my failure, whatever it might be. To dis, let's say displease God in any way. I confess that. I identify with it and say, yes, that's right. That's humility. That's called fellowship. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. But then there's our confession of praise. Praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says this way. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, confessing to his name. So we confess worship and praise to the name of Jesus. Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus, Alpha and Omega. Jesus, my Redeemer, my Savior. You confess unto his name. But then, very important is the confession unto faith. This is called bringing faith. Faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing how? By the word of God. So how does faith come? I hear myself say. Which is why uh, Joshua was told, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. How often? Day and night. So you study the word on meditation. You find out the more you talk, the more you speak it to yourself. You hear yourself say it. Musing. To say in a thoughtful manner. To say to yourself in a thoughtful manner what muse actually means. And David says, I was musing all the day. So it was talking about how he was speaking to himself the word of God daily in a thoughtful manner. And there's a reason for that. Because it's bringing faith to you. David sat under the stars watching his father's sheep and just talking about the greatness of God to himself, the goodness of God, the covenant that he had with God, etc. The promises of God, the faithfulness of God to fulfill the promises of God. But then also, we talked about the fact there's a confession of faith, and that is what is so important to understand. You just don't start with the confession of faith. You start with getting faith into your heart first. You don't just spew out words aimlessly. You see, it's important to do your own research of the scriptures and find out what they say for yourself that you can embrace those truths yourself then you bring them in and then you speak them out and so there's a confession of faith and we use David as the example of our confession of faith and David stood before Goliath but remember before he stood before Goliath he stood before a lion and he stood before a bear and before he stood before the lion and the bear he was meditating the scriptures day and night Now when he stands before Goliath, what does he do? David confesses a conclusion to Goliath. He waits and listens for Goliath to spew out all his venom. And how he boasted how he was going to destroy David, kill David, cut his head off, etc., etc. And when he got done, David then began to speak out his faith. But you heard me say last week, he didn't stop and just say, Wait a minute, Goliath, let me call Pastor Bill up and see what those verses are about God fighting for us. You know, um, Exodus 14, 14, okay, thank you. Exodus 15, 3, he didn't do that. You understand what I mean by that? He had to call somebody else up. What he did was, you come at me with all your weapons of warfare. 
I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts who will this day deliver you into my hands and I will bring you down and feed the carcasses of all the Philistines to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field because you defied the army of the living God. What a bold declaration of faith. That's the confession of faith. So there's a distinct difference between unto faith and of faith. And it's important we understand the distinction. Now, as we continue our study, remember, his confession was based on his personal experience with God and his knowledge of God. Now, we're going to continue our study. First, our confession has got to be based on something that God has already said. It has to be rooted in what God has spoken and said. If God didn't say it, then really we need to either seek his mind or will to understand it. You see, if he said it even in his word, we can embrace it. But if he didn't say it, then it's no, we have no business saying it ourselves. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, 5b, and then verse 6. And this is from the Amplified Bible, uh, the classic version. For he, God himself, has what? Said. Notice this. Those that are out there that criticize this kind of teaching, once again, they don't do their homework. They don't do their research. They hear people saying all kind of crazy stuff that they shouldn't be saying, and they blame the teaching. There's nothing wrong with the teaching. It's wrong with the hearing and the doing of people that don't take the time to really study it thoroughly through for themselves. For God himself has what? Said. Well, what did God say? I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. The reason why that's expressed that way, I will not, I will not, I will not, because the Greek is hard in translating it into English. This is a word that's so powerful, he's trying to drive home a message for us to understand that God is saying, I won't, and you can take that to the bank, I won't in any way leave you or forsake you by any degree. Notice this, in any degree, any degree. So in other words, not even going to be a shadow of changing with God. In any degree, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree. What? What? Leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Would you say that's emphatic? Now why did God say that? So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say. You see what you say must be rooted in what God has said. I'm not walking around saying some things I'm making up. I want a million dollars. I want a brand new car. I want this. I want that. I want everything under the sun. That's not what we teach. If God said it, you can say it. So that we may boldly say what? The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? If God's my helper, what can man do to me? Now, you take that same mindset, and I'll tell you what, it's embarrassing. It should be embarrassing to all the Israeli army. This whole army is there with King Saul, their leader, and it's so sad they don't know their God. They're cowering in fear. The big giant, his great stature, his skill in warfare, standing before them. Forty days and forty nights, not one can master up, muster up the energy. 
or the faith. You would think from day one someone said, let's get out of the Bible and start meditating what God said about warfare. But no. They're cowering in fear. A little boy comes walking along, 15-year-old boy comes walking along and says, he hears Goliath and says, what did he say? Did I hear right? I will fight him. He wasn't mustering up something. This came out of his gut. Came out of his heart and mouth. Believe in your heart, say with your mouth. I'll fight him. He found out the purse was the honeyed money and no taxes for the rest of his life. And that really made him say, is there not a cause? There is a cause for this. His words were rehearsed before the king. And the king says, you can't do it. You know, your confession of faith, when it's out there, you're going to be challenged. We're going to see that in a moment. People will tell you, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You can't do that. Hast thou faith? Have it between thyself and God. You know why that says that? Because when you start saying what the word says, everybody around you is going to think you're a lunatic. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. You can't do that. You can't believe that. But God said it, so I have a right to say it. So to avoid all the doubt and unbelief that will be hurled your way, have it between yourself and God. Let God know what you believe in. Let not God know what you're saying. Let him know. And you know the story. David didn't kill Goliath with stones like we're taught when we're little kids growing up. He killed him with words. Words that were spoken in faith brought down the giant. And you know what, beloved? Words that we speak in faith can do the same for us. We don't have to be overcome in this life. There's so much out there that will feed our fears, our unbelief, and our doubt if you just listen to it. But if you shut that all off and you start listening to the word every day, I'm telling you a change will take place in your heart that will catapult you to another realm in God. Hallelujah. It'll do that for you. Now, I notice a ringing of the phone. You're probably wondering, what is that about? Well, if you were here on Wednesday night, you know what it's about. But I believe it bears repetition here today. A preacher was ministering in a foreign land, staying with a pastor. And while he's staying with the pastor, um, it's five o'clock in the morning. And he's the traveling evangelist. And he hears this phone ringing off the wall. Five o'clock in the morning, 10 times, 20 times, he said, 30 times, 40 times. He said, finally, I couldn't take it anymore. If they're not going to answer the phone, I'm going to get up and answer the phone. So he got up and he went over and answered the phone. And lo, to his surprise, it kept ringing. <clears throat> looked at the phone and put it down and looked over and he heard it coming from over there. Lifted up a sheet and saw an African parrot making a ringing sound. <laughs> over and over and over and over again. He finally just shook his head and went back to bed. Faith is not parroting someone else. There's no connection there. That parody is detached from all that's behind the phone in its operation. Can you see that? And here's the difficulty. You hear someone preach it and say, okay, I believe it. And you start saying it yourself. But if you don't have all the mechanics, all the principles, all the understanding, all the depth of the same heart, then you know what happens? You're just <clears throat> parroting someone else. 
and there's nothing behind it. There's no substance to it. Can you understand that? Just like that. Now, I want to show you in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm sorry, he- Hebrews first. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus is the author of our faith. Jesus is the author of our faith. In verse 1, I talked about we all have a race that we're going to run, every one of us. And we're to look to Jesus, the author and finisher. In other words, he authorizes it. He's the beginner of our faith. And he finishes it. He's the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. So, in other words, if it's not authorized by the Lord, he's not obligated to what? Finish our faith. So if I'm out there just saying things that he hasn't authorized, he hasn't sanctioned, I might be walking out on my own. And when you're walking out on the water, you don't want to sink because you're operating in your own plans, in your own ways, doing your own thing, what you want to do. Quick illustration. If you go to Jeremiah 29 and you read the whole chapter of Jeremiah 21, 1 through at least 13, here's what you find out. It's the one verse that we pull out that says God has a plan for your life, a plan for good, not for evil, to give you a future and give you a hope, right? But if you back up and you read the other verses, they were taken to Babylonian captivity. They were there for 70 years. And during that time, they had all kinds of people coming, prophesying, saying this, saying that, and all that. You know what God said to them? Don't you listen to any of those prophet, prophets. Don't you heed what they're saying to you. They're false prophets and they're liars. He said, you come to me for your direction. You come and seek me with all your heart. And you know what? When you seek me, I will give you a word. I'll give you a plan. I'll give you a vision. I'll give you a dream. And you can walk out on the water. Come, Peter. You see, Peter bought it. And he stepped out on the water. The others stayed in the boat, cowering in fear. Now, was the word just for Peter? I don't know. Could have been for all of them to come out and walk. I'm sure Jesus would have honored that. Would you have been one to get out of the boat with 30 foot swells? You can answer the question for yourself. But the point is, when the word was spoken, come, that authorized his faith to get out of the boat. Do you see that? So we don't just go off and say things because, well, so-and-so prophesied over me. God bless so-and-so. But if it is not in your heart, don't step out on it. You make sure you embrace it for yourself. It's affirming something you believe, testifying to a truth that you know, and witnessing for a truth you've embraced. You know it. It's yours. And so you step out on that. And it's a result of your seeking the face of God and hearing from God. And I want to show this to you in the book of Acts. Chapter 27. If you find yourself in a difficult strait today, you're encountering a storm in life, I guarantee you there's a word for you that will put you through to victory. Here is Paul. Paul is on a boat, ship. He tells them, don't set sail yet because I just kind of perceive in my spirit this is going to be detrimental to our lives and of the ship. And of course, they rely on their own skills as sailors. And they see that the wind is okay. There's not any problems or difficulties. Everything is okay. And so they ignore the Pentecostal preacher. And they rely on their own skills, knowledge, and ability. And so they set sail. And while they set sail, there comes a typhoon when they're out there on the waters. 
The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and stars until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Now that's saying politely, I told you so. <laughs> you, would not, you would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. Really? Be of good cheer, the King James says. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Whoa, a typhoon. You can only imagine being out there. No one's going to die, but ship's going to go down and we're not going to die? Hmm. For last, and here's why. For last night, an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. I like those words. Do you like those words? I belong to the Creator. I serve the Creator. Stood beside me and he said, and he what? Where does faith come from? Notice he didn't say that some uh, fly-by-night whatever said something or I called my neighbor up. And, no, this angel came to me in this dire straits that we're facing and said to me, don't be afraid. You will notice every time angels appear, they usually say fear not first before anything else. When Andrew was born, actually when he was first born, and, and we saw that he was born blue, and didn't know what the problem was. The first words that came up out of my spirit. But I know it's by the Holy Ghost in a more authoritative way. Said fear not only believe. I can't tell you what those four words have meant to me. To my family and me. Fear not. Whew, only believe. And it carried him through all that he had to stand against. You will surely stand trial he says to Paul. Before Caesar. What's more. And you've got to love this. God in His goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God. It will be just as He said. Just as it was spoken to me. So you see the author of Paul's faith was whom? Who was the author of his faith? God through an angel. Right? So since God through an angel gave him that word, which was for him, and wouldn't you be glad to be a buddy of Paul at that moment? Hey, Paul, how you doing, buddy? Because he said, and none of you will die. Right? And so Paul said, I believe it. Sirs, I believe. Be of good cheer. Amen. You're all going to be spared. You're all going to be saved. Okay. But then after that, it's important to know this. What we confess will be challenged. As we pick it up in Acts chapter 27. Notice this. As time went on and they began to get closer, let's say to shore, there were rocks and so on and so forth that they had to encounter. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. Fear now begins to set in. Because now you understand sailing. You understand it's, we're getting closer. They can tell by measuring closer and closer and closer to shore. Now the rocks are going to be appearing and all that. And now it's night. They can't see anything. <clears throat> They're afraid for their lives. 
So what did they do? They're concerned about being driven across to the, uh, the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. So they threw out their ankles, a- a- anchors and they're praying for daylight. That's what they're praying for. Beloved, listen to this verse now. Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. In this time of fear, and rightfully so, it's warranted. They're sailors. They know what's happening. They're going to die as the ship breaks apart and hits the rocks and all that. So they threw out their anchors. Well, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. See, Paul caught on to this. They're thinking, let him stay there and die if he wants to, man. We're going to get out of this place. We're going to do what we can. Isn't that how we all are? I'm going to get myself out of this with my own knowledge, with my own understanding. If we stay on this boat, we're doomed. That's all there is to it because we understand what we're facing right now. But notice what Paul says. You see, your confession of faith will be challenged. So, the, so, so, so Paul says this. Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. That's contrary to what they believe they should do. So what happens? The soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. You know what God wants to let us drift away? Trusting in ourselves. Trusting in our own knowledge. Trusting in our own abilities. The way we see things. Our own plan. Our own vision. Our own purpose. The way... No. Our own, no. God's a whole lot smarter than we are. He's a whole lot wiser than we are. So he tells them, cut the rope. And they did. And they stayed aboard. And those of you that know your, that chapter, you know the rest of the story. Not one life was lost. Not one hair on their head was lost. Every one of them was spared. They were all saved because they did it God's way and not their own way. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, Paul didn't waver because he knew the faithfulness of God. Now remember, David acted on knowledge and experience, and so does Paul. Notice in verse 22 when he talks about the blood of Jesus has been shed for us and we have access and entrance to the holiest place of all. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our profession or confession of faith without what? Wavering, for faithful is he that promised. We will be challenged along the way. There will be opportunities to waver in our faith and let go of our faith. Because you have to understand this, although God is on our side, someone out there is not on our side. Anyone know his name? Many names for him. Slewfoot is one of them. The devil, right? The madman, the crazy one. Okay. Well, in the book of Luke, you'll see this. Jesus understood this, and he's talking to Peter, and he tells Peter, look, Peter. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Do you know he wants to have you too? You know he wants to destroy your life too and my life? 
whether he comes directly to us or through our children or whoever, he wants nothing but destruction to come into our lives. Our finances, our relationships, our marriages, our children, whatever. He wants to destroy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his plan and purpose for every human life. That he may sift you like wheat. Why is he saying that he has to sift like wheat? Because you see, he is not all-knowing like God. He doesn't know what's in your heart. He only hears what's coming out of your mouth. And when you start speaking words of faith, he wants to know, are you a parrot Christian? Parroting somebody else? Or are you truly a bona fide faith Christian? And that's coming out of your heart. So he'll come along to try to sift you to find out what stuff you're made of on the inside. And the moment he puts the pressure on you and sees you're fainting now. And giving up on your confession of faith. He'll know. They're just parroting somebody else. They're not fully developed in this thing. Just put some more pressure on you'll find out. They're going to cave in, lose heart. And that's it. So what does it go on to say? So he says, but Peter, I want you to pray to the Father so that he'll take over for you. No, he prayed for him himself. I prayed for thee. What did you pray? That your faith fail not. You know, you're, you can have a faith failure. We all can have a faith failure. Have you ever aborted a faith project because of the pressure of circumstances and you gave up too soon? Yeah. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And didn't Peter do that? Didn't he say to us in, in his epistle, didn't he say, don't be over alarmed by thinking that some strange thing has happened to you. Every one of you will be challenged in your faith. But he goes on to say this. When the devil comes, resist him steadfast in your faith. Put up your shield of faith and stand against it. And don't let it down. And he encouraged the people to do that. He understood it. Jesus could have prayed for anything for Peter, but you know what he prayed? That his faith fell not. How important then is your faith? Your faith walk. It's extremely important because it's your faith. Your faith got you saved. Your faith gets you forgiven. Your faith is offered to praise before God. Your faith is coming as you meditate the word. And when you release it from a heart full of faith, your faith is released, it does exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think because you're putting God to work on the, pro on the problem in the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 we don't want to waver because if we waver then we won't reap and let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if notice if if we faint not so what's Paul saying here to the church you got to hold fast your faith he said it time and time again. Don't let go of your faith. The word if means the fact that I can waver in my faith. James said it this way. What if you ask in faith? What do you ask God? Ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Because if you waver, you're like the wind and the waves of the sea being tossed with the wind to and fro. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So wavering will do what? It'll stop the process. And we won't reap the harvest of the seed that we're sowing. And so whatever seed we're sowing into our lives, it could be 
healing, it could be deliverance, it could be financial help and assistance, it could be strength that you need to get through a particular project. Whatever you need, release your faith. It could be wisdom, it could be just to get the mind of God, a plan of God. Don't let go of your faith. Keep it in the soil and it'll produce some results. Now, faint means to relax a mental hold on it. You see, we faint and get weary where? In our minds. And so when you're under all this pressure and all this attack, it weighs on your mind and you get to a place that you faint in your mind and you lose heart and you give up. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings and eagles. They will run and not weary and walk and not faint. So as we stay interacting with God, intermingling with God, studying the Word, worshiping and praising Him, what does it do? It keeps our faith strong and robust so that we don't weary in our minds. It keeps our minds focused on the prize and the victory and not on the in-between. And oftentimes you'll hear me say it this way, between every promise of God and His fulfillment is a wilderness. Here's the promised land. Here's the promise of God. Here's the Israelites in Egypt. They're going to a promised land. How you act in the wilderness will determine whether or not you experience the promise. How did they act in the wilderness under Moses? Nasty. And they didn't get their promise. But under Joshua, when they were trained to walk in faith, they got their promised land. And there's a big difference between the two. So you can see the value and the importance of living by faith. And holding on to your faith. Now, it's exciting when we sow the seed. I believe God. It's exciting when you experience the promise of the harvest. Look at the corn. I love it. But the in between time. In between time. There's a battle going on. There's a battle for the mind. There's a battle to get us to faint and lose heart and cave in and give up. There's a battle when you're walking on the water. To be distracted and get your eyes off what the word says. And look on the wind, the waves and the sea. Like Peter who began to sink. You see, it's the in-between time and how we act and behave and during the in-between time that determines whether or not our confession of faith is going to help us reach the goal, which is what? Whatever we sow, we want to reap. Whatever the miracle might be. Now, number three, there's a miracle in your mouth. Beloved, there's a miracle in your mouth. Someone says, I don't know about that. Well, let me tell you this. That's how you got saved. That's how you got the most important miracle in your life. You believed in your heart and said with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of my life. And when you did that, you got saved. If that opens up the door to salvation just from sin, and salvation, that word doesn't mean just deliverance from sin. It means wholeness, soundness, preservation, healing, health, all that. It's the same way. With the heart man believes, with the mouth he confesses unto salvation, unto forgiveness unto worship unto faith of faith the heart and the mouth are working together so there's a miracle in our mouths in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20 this is a verse that you should have highlighted in your Bible if you don't then do it now underline it commit it to memory Jesus said to them they couldn't cast out a devil because of their unbelief and all that but here's what he said because of your unbelief for verily I say unto you. Now wait a minute. Can we say what God hasn't said to us? Should we say what God hasn't said to us? Our faith is based on what God said. Right? So if he said it then we can say it. So I'm going to say it because he said it. And what did he say? I say unto you. Verily means once again impacting. I'm telling you the truth. I'm saying to you. If you as faith as a grain of mustard see 
You shall duck. You shall run. You shall fly. You shall turn around. You shall go to church. You shall what? Is there a connection between faith and saying then? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it should remove, here it is, and nothing, everybody say nothing, shall be impossible unto you. Why are we majoring in the minors when we should be majoring in the majors? I know people just they want to go somewhere and just have somebody do something and a miracle takes place. Good, great if that happened to you. But once you have that happen to you, you better get into the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says because you've got to develop your own life of faith. If you don't, it's not going to work that way all the time for you. Jesus made it very clear to us that if we believe in our heart and say with our mouth, if we believe in the words that we say, we will have what we say. But what we say is not detached from what God has said. And so the thing is, whatever our need might be, what we need to do is get before God. If we can't find it in this book, then we get on our faces before God and say, what say you about my situation? I can see Paul, 14 days, nothing to eat. Out there on a, st a stormy sea. Can you imagine that scenario? I, I'm not just thinking about, you know, motion sickness. Gee, can you imagine what they were going through for all that time? No eating. Well, I guess there was nothing to bring up. Maybe the dry heaves, I don't know. But for all that time, there they are on that sea. Can you imagine what's going through his head? What's going through his mind? And what does he do? He had to be looking to God because an angel came and told him what to do. You see, our faith originates with God. It's important to get before God and say, Okay, Lord, I know some scriptures, but is there something more you want me to do? Is there something specific that you want me to do? Can you see that? Because when he says, Fear not, only believe, when Andrew was born, I'm telling you, every time a doctor came and said something, we believe. He can't live. We believe. He's going to be deformed. We believe. He'll never have intelligence to be in a school. We believe. He won't suck, swallow, or breathe. He'll be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life. We believe. We believe. If you can understand this, this some, my neighbor didn't tell me to say that. It was on the inside. It was the Holy Ghost. We believe those two words have brought him from death to life. Because death and life are where? In the power of the tongue. How many of you know um, John Osteen? I didn't say Joel. I said John. John Osteen is his father. And John Osteen passed the church before Joel took it over. His daughter Lisa was born, and when she was born as a Baptist minister, he had his own theology. But she was born in such a way that she couldn't even at five months old lift up her head. She had a disease similar to cerebral palsy. And as a result, she was like lifeless, lying there on the bed. He got so desperate. These are his words, not mine. So when I say this, understand that. He got so desperate, he got before God. 
He said, I set aside all my Baptist traditional teaching. I admire that. Because you know what it was? They were taught, he, was a, he went to seminary, he was a Baptist minister, okay? And he said, we were taught that sickness is sent by God for a reason. We were taught to teach that sickness will help train God's people, educate God's people, make them better Christians. And that Christians have to suffer all this stuff because God sends it and God wants it. He says, I took that all aside. And this is what I admire about him. He says, then I opened up the Gospels. And I read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what I found was a loving, compassionate healer in Jesus. And in my studies, I came across Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I came across Mark 16, 18 that says, They shall lay hands on the sick. Look at the latter part of the verse. And they shall recover. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. And he had this little baby lying there in the crib, lifeless, it, it, it really attacked their motor skills and all that. This child couldn't do anything. And he said, I laid my hands on her. And with compassion in my heart, I spoke God's word and said, with his stripes, you were healed. Day and night, you are recovering. Because with his stripes, you were healed. And in the process of time, when they said, if she doesn't do whatever, she will never recover. She rolled over, and from that point on, she continued to make steady progress. Today, she is married with children. She, she teaches, uh, has a ministry. I had the privilege of sitting under John Osteen and under Lisa when we went to a conference there at, at Lakewood and listened to her. And wonderful ministry, perfectly normal, perfectly whole, because someone found out there was a miracle in your mouth. And if you speak the word of God, you release the power of God into the situation. You know, prayer is taking your problem to God, but praise is bringing God into your problem, changing the situation. Oh, I, I had the privilege of seeing John Osteen when I was at uh, Raymond, when I was at school there. He came in to do one of the seminars. I love that man. You know why I love that man? First of all, we see eye to eye. Number one. He's as tall as I am. You know, if I want to push it, he might be a hair shorter than I am. He's in heaven right now. We'll find it when we get there. We'll discuss it. But anyhow, we saw eye to eye. I said, now there's a man I can really look eye to eye with. <laughs> but what a man of faith. Because to set aside all your religious tradition... You know, traditions, unbelief, destroy faith and stop the power of God from working. But here was a man that set aside all his background, you know, how he grew up and was taught and got into the Bible. And that's what we need today. Get back to the Bible. You know, I'm going to say this one more time. When you come to church like this in this sanctuary, it's not a time for popcorn and soda and coffee and coffee cake. I know a lot of churches are doing that now. You know why? Because they want to bring the people. They, it's called seeker-friendly churches. Let's, well, let's, let's feed their carnal man. 
You can find that in a world. Go to a movie if you want popcorn. Make sure they say, press it down, shake it together, running over. But make sure. Get your money's worth. They charge you an arm and a leg for it. Gee. Right? Then you get a drink this big to cost you another arm and a leg. And there's so much ice in it, you get nothing to drink. But that's neither, forget it, neither here nor there. When you walk into this sanctuary, it's world out, devil out, flesh out, God in. We reverence you, we honor you, we glorify. I don't need smoke, I don't need mirrors, I don't need a high energy concert. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. The Bible says when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? No, he'll find popcorn. He'll find Coke. He'll find coffee cake and donuts and etc. It's okay to have them back there. But when you come here, we shift gears, praise God. Can you say amen? This is a holy place of reverence where we've come to honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And study the Word. If you can't keep a young person with that, then you can't keep a young person. We want to cater to their fancies. I don't see Jesus doing that. Matter of fact, I see Jesus saying, when you come before my presence, take your shoes off. Take your sandals off. Didn't he tell that to Moses? First thing he said to Moses, get your shoes off. Get your sandals off. You're in holy ground right now. And that's acting out your faith. You have a, a, a need and a relationship. I just wrote some things out. A physical, emotional healing, financial healing, whatever it might be. Strength to forgive or whatever. Look at Luke 17 and verse 6. And we're wrapping this up real quick. Luke 17, 6. Here's what it says. Jesus, Peter went to Jesus thinking that he was somebody special, saying, as he always puts his foot in his mouth, how many times should I forgive somebody who's wronged me? Seven times? <laughs> and Jesus says, uh, no, Peter, 70 times seven daily. <laughs> what does Peter say? You better increase my faith. <laughs> At least he's honest. You better increase my faith, Jesus, because I well, seriously? What if it's my wife? <laughs> or my mother-in-law? <laughs> I told her myself, she, we didn't even have live streaming last week. She, she wouldn't have seen it, but somebody told on me. <laughs> See what happens? <laughs> and the Lord said, if you had faith, He said, increase our faith. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might what? You might what? If it's your wife now, you might duck. You might what? Say. Notice the connection between faith and saying all the time when Jesus teaches faith. Say to the sycamine tree, which is really a tree that has roots that spread out. It's like the root of bitterness. Peter, if you've got this root of bitterness in you, speak to it. Say to it. Say what? Be thou plucked up by the root, number one. Be planted into the sea, number two. And it should what? Obey. Look guys, nothing else obeys you in life. You might as well take advantage of this. Okay? You'll get that in just a moment. It'll sink in. Yes, honey. Okay, honey. Okay, dear. Yes, absolutely. Happy wife. Happy life. I know I was right, but I'm not saying that out loud. But I know I was right. But that's okay, sweetheart. You're right. You're right. I'll obey. I'll do what you say. So speak to trees. Speak to mountains. Speak to the devil. You get it? 
Say to it, be thou removed, be thou plucked up by the root. That in, in itself would be a feat. Be planted into the sea. Have you tried to walk into the sea? Let alone plant a tree in the sea? But then it will obey you. We're not used to having our words be obeyed. So it's time for us to take this to heart and start saying, let's do this thing. Let's meditate the word. Let's get into our hearts. Because we're not speaking about anything less than all the forces of darkness coming against us. All the forces of nature. All the forces of the flesh. And we start saying, get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I will not fear the economy because my God supplies all my need. I can say that. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. And greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. Don't tell me I can't. I know I can. Fear, get out. God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound, sound, well-disciplined and controlled mind. Praise God. I've got that. That how, is how God wants us to be. And one more verse, Matthew 24. Well, two more, really. 15. Uh, uh, Matthew 24, 35, rather. It says, look at this. It's time to speak up. You know why? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, but my words will never pass away. Never pass away. Never. So when you speak up and we speak up, we do so with the mindset that God's word is superior to everything we're speaking against. Amen. Brother Hagen, our Brother Osteen was also in a meeting where he was dealing with a woman that came to him and he didn't know where she was coming from. She was coming from a situation where she was dying of cancer. And when she went there, the Lord said to her, I'm going to heal you. And the service was like about right now, about to end. And she became very despondent as she was sitting back in the pew. And finally, he said, like sometimes it happens. He goes, I don't think I can close it just yet. There's someone here who needs healed of cancer. And then, boy, she just lit up like a neon sign. She came running up. And he said to her, the Lord told me to tell you there's a miracle in your mouth. There's a miracle in your mouth. I'm going to curse that thing. And from this point on, you keep on saying it and thanking God. And by day and by night, she kept on declaring, by his stripes I was healed. I am healed. And she said it from her heart with her mouth. And one day, now notice, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. And one day the cancer absolutely just was flushed out of her body. The doctor confirmed it was cancer that came out of her. And she was completely delivered and set free from cancer. You see, he found death and life were in the power of the what? The tongue. So there's miracles this morning in our mouths. And I said, I know the Holy Ghost said this to, for me to say it to you. When I began teaching this again. Many miracles are going to start taking place in people's lives. When they start doing this. Amen. In closing, look at Matthew 15, 6b. Because this is what we're going to pick up. Probably next week, unless the Lord leads another way. Thus have you made, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of, of, of the law. You've made the commandment of God in that effect by what? Your tradition. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draws nigh to me with their what? Mouth. And onto me with their what? But their heart is far from me. But in vain 
they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men and he called the multitude and said to them hear and understand not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man but that which comes out of the mouth this defiles the man wow that's what defiles a man what are we saying about the situation so we're going to talk about how the heart and mouth have to be in sync they can be miles apart but to get them in sync it's important we get rid of religious tradition amen get rid of it let's all stand together before the Lord hi Pastor Bill here I want to thank you for joining us today on behalf of my wife Krista and Krista Selby Church I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family whether you have young children or kids in elementary school if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.